Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Mercedes. In this podcast, we will be sharing with you some of the most exciting stories from within the automotive industry. We will, of course, be talking about the Mercedes-Benz brand and its cars, but we also look forward to meeting external experts for a very personal deep dive into the world of mobility. My name is Yasmin Blair, and this is Let's Talk Mercedes. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Mercedes, your digital assistant for the MBUX in car infotainment system. Today, three of my favorite people talk about my future. Let's hear what they have to say. In the morning, when your phone decides you've had enough rest and wakes you, that is artificial intelligence. When checking your social media, you are at once brought up to date about any news that may be of special interest to you. And yes, AI strikes once again. Whether we're aware of it or not, AI is a constant companion and can be even much more when put to use correctly. It's a child we get to train that then surprises us with its very own personal interpretation of what it's learned in its very own behavior on top of it. And I know why some of this might feel strange. I, too, remember those days when artificial intelligence seemed to be something out of a science fiction movie or novel. But now, recent advances in science and improvements in processing power have made artificial intelligence feasible in everyday life, with innovative companies cooperating with one another to make AI a common reality. So... What is it like to work in this stunning field? And most of all, who are these people creating some of the most used AI applications surrounding us all over the world? Well, today we're about to meet two of them from two of those said companies right now. I am very much looking forward to some answers, and it's now my great pleasure to be joined by George Massing, Vice President, Digital Vehicle and Mobility of Mercedes-Benz R&D. Hi, George. Hi, Yasmin. Nice to have you. Thank you. And also looking forward to a chat with Claire Delaunay, Vice President of Engineering at NVIDIA. Hi there, Claire. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us, you two. And starting off, I gave you a very, very short introduction. So let's just take a minute time to get to know you two a bit better. Why don't you start out by introducing yourselves and letting us know what it is you do exactly. Claire, would you like to start? Uh, sure. So my name is Claire Delaunay. I have been working um, in robotics for about all my life. I started uh, very early on with a computer science training, but I quickly became fascinated by the world of AI and the world of digital information. And so today I'm working at NVIDIA as a video of engineering, um, where I work on, on robotics applications, but also on uh, parking applications with, with Mercedes. And this is definitely a fascinating field. I can't wait to hear more about it. Thank you so much, Claire, for that self-introduction. George, tell us a little bit about what you do, please. I'm uh, heading the uh, connected business within the Mercedes Car Group. And I think one of our most known innovations since uh, 2018 in the car is uh, MBUX. So I'm fascinating working with people and using the technology uh, to serve people. So, and this is what brought us. So, for a longer period already, so because in most of our car we have uh, some high computing power by NVIDIA, 
So, and we are looking forward to increase this collaboration. Thank you, George. And especially when it comes to MBUX, I, I hear you, technology yeah. working for people, yeah. not the other way around. We're going to get a closer look at MBUX yes. uh, later on as well. And thank you for that introduction. Now, you did give us some background information, but uh, I'd like to lo know more about it. What brought you to work in this field? Where does your passion or where do your, where do your fascinations for AI come from, Claire? Yes, that's a very good question. And I think I actually ended up a little bit randomly in this field. But what drove me to stay here is really um, understanding. I think understanding AI and building AI is bringing us a little bit closer to understanding how humans work um, on the personal level. Of course, um, I mean, um, neural networks are inspired by biology. But in addition, and the dimension that we, we can't really do encompass as a single individual is that AI is also much better than humans to treat um, large, very large data sets. And so um, I think it gives us also a lot of insights and a lot of um, thought on how our uh, society works, how, um, how, how networks are connected between people, how information um, can be reused and transferred from one individual to help another one. And that's something that you can um, that you can really uh, see across the whole spectrum of um, of AI application, and that that for me is really something fascinating. And we're going to talk about some of those possibilities during our conversation, Claire. The things you mentioned that fascinate you have they always fascinated you from a very young age on? Yes, it just took me a long time to understand that it would become what we call AI. But uh, very early on, I was always trying to understand. Um, I, I really started actually with the animal kingdom, and I was sure that I would become a veterinarian, or or, or I would be training animals, you know, because I was fascinating on how um, knowledge can be given and how a behavior can be taught and um, and repeated, and there is this kind of understanding that creates communication. And so, um, and that's something that I found, um, and really, really by mistake, because I was doing an internship on a, on a volcano. And so, and it's a completely different field, you know. And so they were installing a seismic station all across, all around the volcano. And so, and this seismic station collects so many data, like chemistry, vibrations, and all of that. And everything is sent back to a server. And the server is magically able to do with AI, was able to do already back in, a, in the in early 2000, um, a decision on, is it an eruption that's going to happen? Is it a pedestrian just going on the side? Is it just, uh, you know, rock collapsing? And if it's an eruption, this sensor architecture is able to tell you exactly where this is going to happen triangulate and find the position where the origin of what's going on underneath is happening. And for me, it was just, um, it was just amazing to finally connect the sensing entities and, and make um, decisions, be able to extrapolate information um, based on that. That is a fantastic example to start out with. And we're going to have a look at more examples as we go along. George, in your case, I can imagine that even from a very young age as a little boy, maybe you were fascinated by robots or the likes, is that so, or did it develop later on in life? It, it developed a little bit later on in life. Of course, so as kids, so you have those cars, so, and uh, you receive as gifts so, on Christmas, and uh, you play with all those engines. So this is something always really fascinating. But the real fascination came 
actually as a parent. So, and uh, there is a, a nice thing that I saw uh, or I experienced once uh, uh, sleeping Saturday. So I'm always using that time to relax and try to sleep a little bit longer. So, and, uh, and one of my boy came in the room and uh, wanted to watch a movie. And then I just told him, hey, just go downstairs and then watch your movie. So, and uh, he was five years old. And then after half an hour, he didn't come back. And I was surprised. Why is he not coming back? And then I went down and he was just speaking to his phone and then asking Star Wars 3. And then he received the movie and he could choose the movie and then just experience it. And, and I was just like... Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, look how far the technology has gone. And you're talking here about AI in the speech environment and how far it has gone and how far it can even help somebody who cannot write because he couldn't write Star Wars, but he knows that he wants to watch Star Wars. So, <laughs> and he was just able to say it and, and then choose between a lot of movies that he received and then just watch it. And, and those were Star Wars. That just brought me, okay, what is behind this thing? So what makes this thing way much fascinating? So, Those are really nice experiences, yeah. some fantastic examples. And, uh, you know, that, that that's one question. AI surrounds us. Mm. And we just mentioned, or I just mentioned some examples. Yeah. And, you know, using your, your phone or even uh, taking measurements at a volcano, those are both very great examples that I think we all understand. On the other hand, you know, if we dive right into the subject, sometimes we are given, and I include myself, this absurd idea of AI being this sort of magical entity, you know, because that's indeed what the media would very often suggest. Where do you two see the biggest or most common misunderstandings provided to us by various media? Claire? Well, I would say the biggest, I think, difficulty is that in the first place, we call AI, I mean, AI means artificial intelligence which means that there is intelligence. Exactly. So, and then the question is like, well, intelligence is already very hard to define for humans. So, so what, what would it mean to be artificial? And so the reason why it's very important to underline that is that today, most of the AI learned based on the data we gave it. So this is almost a regression based on data that we human generated. If we want to call it intelligence, we should say that it's an intelligence that can be taught. But that's not an intelligence that can think for itself nor invent anything. And with these very particular details come a consequence, which is if AI today learns based on what we created, AI will not do anything else that we haven't created yet. And the difficulty here is to, is to really realize that, um, at scale, if we if we don't really you know pay attention to this to this detail, we are reinforcing existing cycle, and by abusing AI, we will keep reinforcing things that exist and perpetuate instead of um, moving on to something else or something new or create new behavior, and that I think is this little detail behind intelligence that is very often misunderstood. And I think anyone working in the field needs to keep reinforcing this message and repeating it again and again and again. 
I know you can't, uh, our listeners can't see us, but you've been nodding vigorously, George. <laughs> yeah. And maybe to add exactly in that direction. So, and uh, I really like the emphasis of artificial. So, and something that we train the system to think. So, and as human, there are human who have good behaviors and there are human with bad behaviors. If you train a system to behave badly, it will just do that. So, and I think this is the thing that sometimes makes some of the people who are working in that environment or who are reading a little bit in that environment makes them a little bit scared because now somebody can misuse, as Claire just mentioned, the machine so and train the machine to a bad behavior. But it is not the machine that is responsible for the bad behavior. It's the human still that is responsible for the bad behavior. That's beautifully said. And I would even said this is exactly like not parenting because kids can actually, <laughs> you know, like also, I mean, grow from themselves and have their own, their own behavior and, and learn their own trick. Parents can influence, but I mean, Kids are intelligent. Exactly. A machine is not. Yes. <laughs> but this definitely, there is definitely a causality yes. on how it was trained. And so um, yeah. it was, we will say it. So thank you, George. <laughs> That's extremely interesting because, you know, we have, as you said, George, we have our own characters and we can't expect for something we train for something, uh, an intelligence that we have programmed and that we have trained to uh, be a better being than we are ourselves. I think that's something we need to keep in mind. I'm going to make a note of that. But, you know, even though even though we might have this misperception very often of AI coming back, I want to speak more about training in just a minute, but coming back to uh, fictional stories and films and books, one thing that always comes to mind is George Orwell to me. Because in George Orwell's 1984, so much of that was considered by us, or maybe more so by our parents, as completely impossible, bonkers, right? And so much of that, almost all of it, uh, has become reality. How do you guys feel in general about fictional stories of artificial intelligence? Do you guys personally remember a film or a book or a show that impressed you or had a very strong impact on, on you or your attitude towards AI? Claire? Not specifically. I think I learned how to very early on to watch movies with always a grunt um, of salt. And so um, there's a lot of parallels that are not that are so incorrect that um, it's mostly entertainment. I would say that most of the movies um, that I remember always portray this AI as intelligent. And this is not something that we really uh, manage to do. I'm going to repeat it again, but the danger today is that if we base too much of our trust on AI, I mean, we, we might as well just say that we're just going to keep repeating old schema. And so I'm... Um, we always need to remember that the trainer is in control. And that that's not something that I've seen in a movie um, just yet, I guess. On my side, I think there are some movies that were very interesting. I don't know if you guys know Knight Rider. Oh, yeah. So, so, so that's right. For me, it was Please. just... We grew up on exactly. Knight Rider. Exactly. So those are things that are crazy. There are some few movies out there, at least, that are so interesting and inspiring and today in today's world i just told you today i, I had a test drive by parking a, a car 
autonomously. So, and I was just thinking about it and telling to my people, oh, this would be cool if, like, night rider, I can just call my car, so, and then the car come and pick me up quickly, and uh, I'm coming out of the airport. The car come directly, pick me up. It is exactly like night rider did when he wanted to get rid of uh, some of the people who were tr- following him. So this is something really fascinating for me. So. <laughs> and this is the future we're looking at. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is going to become reality. <laughs> So even to you, I mean, you, you're working in this field. You're the expert, George. Even to you, this the, it, it still feels surreal, I take it. Yes. It's always fascinating. <laughs> and my heart just always opens up when I'm thinking of something new that we can do uh, because of uh, the availability of this technology. And uh, it's just it just opened up my heart. And uh, that, That's beautiful. You know, I mean, you're doing the exact right thing. You're in the perfect position. <laughs> To live up to that passion, I'd like to learn more about your personal takes on on artificial intelligence and on the work you do. And you've already given us some wonderful examples. Do you have any more examples of something that makes you consider AI the ideal technology? What does AI have to bring to the table to make you guys personally a fan, perhaps in terms of interaction, etc.? What is the perfect AI system, Claire? Hmm. So I think the perfect AI system would be a system that would um, definitely help me in all the tasks that are uh, very repetitive, um, that I know very well how to do, but I don't want to do them all the time. But I still have my style to do them or my way of doing them. George, you already said something at the beginning that I I really like. Uh, it's the technology working for people, not the other way around. So, what is what do you consider the perfect technology? It has to give me back time, and it has to work for me. I just mentioned this example. So, uh, running at the airport, all of us we know it. We, who has been used to travel, and then you are anyway late, and now you have to park your car first, and then come to the gate like sweating so if i can just leave my car somewhere and then the car goes and park itself oh this is so much time and so much pain that is taking away from me it is so cool but as claire also mentioned i want to do it by myself when i have time the system should work for me it it should give me time it should help me be relaxed so you did already mention something I consider uh, a time saver, MBUX, George. And, you know, one thing very important for your work or for you guys to be able to work and, and develop and take those steps forward are the rise in computing power, which we are experiencing today. And that combined with the so-called deep learning methods has recently enabled a lot of new feasible usages for AI, as I did also already mention in the introduction what are the most exciting features made possible by AI that you have been working on or may currently be working on, George? Speech was one of the stuff that I just mentioned. Uh, now to s- see what you can do with a natural language understanding, so which is nothing else than just machine learning, how we speak, even learning the, the accent. So a little bit of French, a little bit of uh, German here and there. So And then being able to help me to do stuff here and there. Of course, uh, I call it assistant driving. So, which will lead us at a certain point in time through autonomous driving. This is also something that I really enjoy. 
for me personally, when I now look back upon my childhood, the way we grew up was once your car was outdated, you simply needed a new one. And last year in 2020, NVIDIA and Mercedes-Benz officially announced that together they're about to change things up drastically. Now, Claire, how exactly is your collaboration going to change things for the entire industry, for the market in the near future? Yes. So um, I think the revolution that you are mentioning right now is that if you take so much time to train your car, you don't want it to be lost when you change your car. And there is this kind of bound that you create with your car. And today, first of all, we have the computational power to provide this advanced function and, and to have the car being taught. So that's the first stage. But the, the other thing that, um, that we are developing in our collaboration is a software defined stack, which is we try to put as much as possible of the knowledge and the intelligence in a part of the car that we can update on the fly and that we can really enhance over time. And I think it's a fundamental change um, in the in the automotive industry. We can now roll out, you know, new features years after years based on learning from the all humanity, from the whole fleet of car. Your car can be taught not only by you with your, you know, your style and how you like things to be done, but you're also leveraging all the other users of the car. And suddenly we are accelerating the teaching of your car because um, you, you, you really leverage all this information. And so that's something that is possible with a software-defined car, which is, I think, what is amazing about our collaboration. And in 2024, that's the number that we've heard, there's going to be the next huge leap because every single Mercedes-Benz will then include a next-generation uh, NVIDIA AI supercomputer. What is that going to mean to us as users and customers, because the way I understand is that in some distinct ways, my car is going to be like my phone. I will merely have to get it updated from time to time, only that the car will last longer. Is that correct? This, yep. this is correct. So <laughs> I'm always saying now we are fulfilling the dream of this ultimate mobile device. So uh, which is your car and which is kept year after year new and we never lose his intelligence and and i i really love this analogy to a uh, night rider um and i would say now i mean starting 2024 yeah. i mean we we will definitely see the frontier between your phone and your car mm. start blurring mm. because yeah. that's what software define is is that you have this virtual brain yes. that lives somewhere and you can transfer it between cars you can transfer it between your phone and your car and this this kind of like intelligence can follow you around and maybe we extend it further than than the car um in the next 10 years george <laughs> <laughs> Ever since, you know, ever since it's become common to synchronize things, which, which you know, it's fairly new as well. My phone is synchronized with my computer, with uh, my tablet, whatnot. They're becoming more and more similar. And of course, the people who build them are making the style and the usage more similar every year. And now it feels like the car is an add-on, a, a beautiful, huge add-on, of course, but it feels like it's furthering the other devices that I'm using. Everything is becoming one, which of course, is again, George, as you mentioned, 
at the end of the day, very, very time-saving. And you did mention MBUX and the new things that you're working on. At this year's CES, Mercedes-Benz presented the MBUX hyperscreen as a new highlight. And this is an assistant that is easy to operate and again, thanks to AI, capable of learning. There are several displays that sort of merge seamlessly and extend almost across the entire width from left to right in the car cockpit. You definitely need to tell us a little bit about the hyperscreen, George, because I'm very excited about that one. Oh, yeah. So I think this is, again, the front face so of what the customer will see and the interaction that the customer will have with the car. So first of all, just not only look nice, so which is something that we like, but on top of it, so and uh, this is uh, what we are aiming for, you, you have everything at one click. We bring all the intelligence at one click. And you have it directly in front of you. And it is not just for you as a driver, but also as a passenger. So you can enjoy now driving in the car because uh, the passenger can watch his movie, the driver focusing on uh, driving or with our level three uh, that we already bring in the S-Class. You can even drive autonomously and then just talk to each other. So, And uh, this... We call it zero layer, so uh, bringing everything on top to the customer. This is uh, one of the stuff where we use, of course, AI. The car should know that every morning, so on my way to the office, so I'm giving a call to Claire. So as soon as I jump into the car, Claire's number should appear and then either start automatically or I just click one on it and that's it. Of course, when you're doing it the first time, we will not know it directly, but with the passive of time, we will know it. And now, just imagine, you can port this intelligent in another car. <laughs> you, just, you change your car, so and with your Mercedes Me account, so everything that has been learned from one car is brought in the other one. This is the fantastic world that we are now working on for 2024 together with NVIDIA. I am completely fascinated by what you guys do. And you make it sound like basically all you do uh, the entire day is is just what you love. And you you play around and you find new solutions and you program new things. It sounds like the, the perfect dream job. But I do remember that sensation the very first time I sat in an autonomous car. And of course... I consider all of this very time-saving, and I think time is the most valuable asset. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why I'm personally a great fan of MBUX, because it's like this own personal board assistant. But my first feeling in the autonomous car was anxiety, to be honest. And perhaps some people consider, uh, you know, new technologies and these next steps invasive. Can you guys, I mean, to you, it's normal because it's your everyday work, but can you relate to these people who feel that this is a bit scary or, or maybe a bit fearsome of all of these changes to come. Claire, can you understand that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a very sane behavior anyway. That, that's why I think AI really needs to be designed in a way where it's an extension of you and you also need to understand it very well. So reproducibility is going to help a lot. You know, it's like kids for the first time when when you present them to a very big animal. Right. And they get scared. 
And then when they pass a little bit of time with the animal, then they understand how the animal behaves. They understand and they can start forecasting what's going to happen. And the moment this happens, then this is where the, communi like the communication or the acceptance can happen and the fear is diminishing. And that's really what we are building toward um, in AI. We, we really care deeply about this, uh, this effect and we care deeply about making sure that we can grow confidence with technology and it will take time and it's okay. George, during your work, do you ever, when something works out and you've just developed a new feature, do you ever take a step back and have one of those moments where you say, whoa, this is so surreal. This is so cool. I mean, you just, you just, you guys just surprised me by saying this is not everyday life to you. This is still very, very exciting to you as well and, fa and fascinating. And you understand that people are spooked out by it. So, uh, George, do you, do you get those moments? Always, always. I mean, this is like while making sports. So when you achieve a certain goal, then you are like, ah, oh, cool, I did it. You, you, you want to do it. You want to achieve it, but you are not sure that you will make it. So now with this technology, you you, you know that, oh, they, this thing must be able. When you are programming, you know that ah, there must be something that is doable there. So you're trying to uh, figure out how to do it. But when you succeed, so it is so nice. And you guys also said it's like training a child at some points. And uh, just a couple of days back, a very smart friend uh, told me about AI. He said, Yasmin, you need to understand it's like training a child. You can teach the system lots of things, but at the end of the day, there's no formula X plus Y equals Z. You never know how the child or your trained system will behave exactly. So does that mean that a lot of your work is based on assumptions or maybe even hoping? Or when is the point when you know exactly, okay, this system is ready for public? Yeah, so that's a very good question. With training training system, we are also developing a new way to do um, engineering because of the exactly what you mentioned, which is uh, we need to really understand um, the, the effect or the reaction. And so there's no formula on how things are learned. We have ways to verify the system and to validate the system. And it comes with huge amounts of data and testing uh, statistically um, the cases and the occurrence of the cases in the data and the desired behavior. And so developing um, AI system now is a mix between creativity and iteration at the training time where you have a little bit of like, you know, you, you, you create hypotheses and you validate them and some of them work, some of them don't. But then once you have something trained, you pass to the second phase, which is validating precisely how performant the system is in all these conditions. And that's that's definitely not something that was in the software engineering practices before. So that's something completely new. So we are also inventing this new new way to do engineering around AI. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Claire. You guys, you know what? I just realized I think we need to take a step back for better understanding. And maybe when it comes to development, and we've spoken of training so much, I would like to take a closer look at how it's actually done when you're developing a new AI feature or system. Where do you begin? What's step one? How do you actually begin to teach a system to think or function independently? It's quite difficult to imagine your work process. How does it go about, George? What, what does the work process, the workflow look like for you? The first thing you have to understand is what task am I trying to solve? So 
And then when you know the task that you're trying to solve, as Claire just mentioned, you now need to feed the system what kind of information do I need. And then uh, you start, how do I feed the system with those information? And then start the process of writing the algorithm in order to figure out the problem you are trying to solve. So in that iteration of information coming in, training, looking at how your algorithm works out, validating, testing and validating, if the output that you have been expecting is the right one, you start getting it in a kind of process loop in there. And then you feed the system with more information. And this is why uh, stuff like autonomous driving are so difficult to realize uh, because it is getting so complex that you have so much input that can come into the system that you haven't validated before. So, and those are not noises, if I can call them like that, that are not uh, well perceived by your algorithm and that bring your algorithm uh, to do something wrong. So, this is the process in which we are working and uh, I don't know. But then you have to, do you have to start from the beginning? I'm sorry yeah. for interrupting you. Do you take it from the start when that happens? You just take what you know. So, and then with the passive of time, uh, you start learning the restriction. So while you are validating your system, you learn the restriction during the validation. And then you ask yourself, oh, how can I pass that restriction? Which means how can I get new information? which means new data, so and then extend my algorithm so in order to be able to pass that, that step. Claire, George seems to have this very uh, specific orderly approach in his workflow. Is it the same for you? Yeah, yeah, that's mostly the same. And I would say, uh, to reinforce what George said, I would say that uh, for um, self-driving cars, the problem is really is, um, the collection of data. So, because if you look at, for instance, speech recognition, it's fully instrumented already. I've been collecting data at the human, at the scale of humanity for many years. Mm -hmm. And before AI, there was people doing all the, the crafting, the engineering by hand. Mm -hmm. And so they had the data and all of that. So the moment AI arrived, that was a giant boost because all this data was already laid out, ready, almost labeled, you know, and it was like just, um, the AI just had to learn it. But for self-driving cars, first of all, you don't only have language and voice. You have LIDARs, you have cameras, you have ultrasonic sensors, you have um, odometry to understand how the car moves. Um, and then you have these complex scenes that seem so straightforward for us human that we understand right away when you look at the road. But then when you, you give that to, to, to a machine, then, then the machine is like, What's going on? Yeah. What, I do? what are you asking me to do? Why would I drive on the road? Right? And that's why I think it's very funny in the process because you have to understand what is meaningful for us human to drive and how are you going to collect all this data to make the system understand that the lane lines are exactly what matters to define the road. And sometimes those are not lane lines. Sometimes it's sidewalk. But that's the same thing. So that's still a main difference between what biology can do and what artificial can do, is that we need tremendous amount of data. Um, and this is why um, a collaboration with, with, with Mercedes and the project uh, we are uh, doing together is so important. 
because without the scale of collecting the data, um, even if we have the smartest engineers able to create the AI, there is not enough data to learn. Um, it's just is one part of the equation, like you mentioned before, Yasmin, um, about the computational power. You need the AI, you need, of course, the algorithm, you need the computational power, and you need the data. And with these three, these three things, you iterate until you teach something that can actually create a meaningful behavior. That's our three ingredients to create our, our cooking ingredients. And that's, that's <laughs> what we have to work with. And that's what engineering look like now. <laughs> I really like that cooking picture. You're, you're partners. So if you're both cooks, let's say there's a, the Mercedes-Benz cook, the NVIDIA cook, then who brings which ingredient? How can we understand how the collaboration works exactly? Yes, NVIDIA is very good at computational power. We have amazing computers. Um, and to the point that you were uh, making before, so yes, I mean, um, deep learning is actually not completely new. The first neural network, the book, um, about the perceptron, which is the, 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 you know, the, the um, antique of the, the neural network was invented in 59. I'm sure you were not born. Of course not. <laughs> the computational power is the first brick, and that's something that um, NVIDIA brings because um, NVIDIA was very early on with the GPU, and so NVIDIA started in 98 with the perfect design for AI before even AI was revived, you know, uh, which is a very funny coincidence, I would say. And the other one is... We spend a lot of time designing and optimizing this hardware to make it extremely fast. And so we develop a lot of um, new AI techniques. And we also, of course, leverage a lot from the um, tremendous amount of research done on the topic. And Mercedes is bringing all this experience on what it is to drive the car. Mercedes is framing the problem, is giving us, like George said, they is giving the problem. The problem, the way, the mean to collect data scale. There, there is something that I have to add because uh, giving data, data available, you can give data to everyone. So, but uh, there is also something in this collaboration, and uh, uh, I'm always comparing it with uh, uh, you, you have ingredient available for everybody uh, to cook, and then you have this five star chef. And then you have the two-star chef. So both take the same ingredient, but they cannot make the perfect dish that you, you, you want to have. And here you have to work with two five-star chefs in order to use exactly <laughs> the perfect dishes and saying, okay, so how do we make this sauce or this, this dish really nice and cool and perfect for the human being? I, I think this is the other part of the collaboration that we should not uh, that have a, a big, for me, at least, uh, big importance. Sounds like a match made in heaven, you two. <laughs> now, before we before we move along to uh, future perspectives, either George or Claire, can you give me a number, that example you brought of the car or the vehicle having to understand that it's not to cross the sideline and that after the sideline comes the sidewalk and there's data for that and there's this one movement that the vehicle has to understand for autonomous driving to work and to be safe how long does that one piece of the entire puzzle take to program is there a number you can give me 
Wow, that's a, <laughs> oh God is is, a, is already good. That's a very hard question. So, that's a very hard. I mean, yeah. without going too technical, we we have to understand that uh, cell driving car brain is not a single neural network. It's many of them, and the reason why we break down the complexity is because otherwise we would need too much data. So we we take the big problem of driving, we slice it in little different pieces, and then we we work on these pieces one by one to make sure we really understand how to frame the problem and put the right data in it. But to give you an example to train a neural network to um, use the lane lines, um, you would need millions um, of images. But here is the thing. (laughs) If you have 100 millions of images of the same lines and you never went to China, (laughs) then you you still cannot drive in China. (laughs) So... You know, it's like, it's a question of number, but it's also a question of capturing the problem. What you both have mentioned is, um, or what we've spoken of is processing power. And I think we can all agree that we have a very urgent need for more processing power, perhaps especially, I mean, we're from all over the world, from different places. Politicians have been talking about 5G anytime they mention digitalization, basically, they always speak of 5G. It's the only thing, uh, just as an example. And, um, you know, I, I think we need to make that happen on a broader scale here, uh, for one. But when that does happen, which developments are you personally looking forward to when we do have that power and when you also have more data to work with? Because, of course, Claire, as you said, you can only use the data that already exists. So, what might be the next step when we have more processing power, when you've collected yet even more data? And what might you even consider a game changer that we will experience, uh, all of us in the future, Claire? I think 5G is a very good analogy, a very good analogy of something that could revolutionize um, the field. And the reason for that is twofold. Um, the first one is that it breaks down the barrier between cars between phones and cars, between phone and infrastructure, between car and infrastructure. And so if you think about it, um, one of the limitations today is still that if everything is trained at a local place and, and can only run at a local place, then getting data in and out is going to be the bottleneck. With 5G, you will leave this bottleneck. So suddenly everything can work together. And the way I see it, of course, um, it will increase the flow of data going in and out of the car, but it would also facilitate equipping the environment. A lot of problems that we have in um, transportation today is actually an optimization problem because there's so many people on the road. The moment you can actually connect the car together and and start equipping the infrastructure also to, to help collecting data, then all of that can suddenly make sense. All of that can be optimized as a global problem. You can run an AI on transportation problem, not only on on driving problem. So um, think about intelligent routing, things about uh, finding finding the parking spot three miles um, away from the parking spot and booking it because the car knows you are prioritary. Your flight is is taking off in two hours. You are late. And so... And the other, another one has more time. And so micro optimization can be done like that at, at a global scale. Um, because, um, you have the data. Yeah. I think that's, that's the next step for AI in, um, in the automotive field. George, what do you think is going to be the next great game changer that we will experience? 
going in the same direction. I mean, there's uh, we call it car to X uh, communication. I mean, just just imagine you're driving, and then I know already. So three traffic light ahead, that uh, the traffic light will turn red. So first of all, also for the environment. So I can reduce the speed. So I can make the car driving properly. I can reduce the CO two emission that that I'm bringing. I don't need to rush because I will never be able to reach that traffic light on time and then have a hard break. So and and, and produce uh, too much uh, CO two. Those are the changes that we will see in the future. So this car to X communication. So this is something uh, that will be extremely amazing. And you as pedestrian. So you you may be also considered as part of that uh, ecosystem. You are working with your phone somewhere and you see you see an accident for example. So why your phone cannot communicate this information to the uh, everybody else and then avoid to have a, a traffic jam at that position and maybe even save life because now the ambulance or whatever can drive faster because the people knowing that oh that in front there there is an accident they can choose another another lane another road or drive somewhere else and let the people that are needed in that case to come there faster so this is this type of revolution that will come with the passive of time i personally believe we always have at mercedes this those those three on we call it car a cloud and iot so this communication between those three things uh, the better they will be the greater our life <laughs> will all be and uh, <laughs> Those are some brilliant last words, you two, and we're looking forward to the future very much. Thank you for this exciting conversation. I'm stoked, honestly, um, and I envy you for the exciting work you do. Thank you so much for teaching us and for letting us be a part of it and for letting us learn and, uh, you know, for clearing up some false understandings that we might have had. And I look forward to seeing you guys again soon. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us and all the best to both of you, George and Claire. Thank you, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, Mercedes. How did you like the conversation? I loved it. And now I'm even more excited about my future. Let's see what Claire and George will come up with together. We live in wonderful times. Thank you to our listeners, of course, as well. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of this episode of Let's Talk Mercedes. And I look forward to our next one coming up soon. Until then, stay safe, everyone, and take care. Bye.